9. Am orful than loafing around the throne, while the latter asks us to recognize the existence of nothing which the eyes cannot see and fingers touch, to cease imagining that there is a soul, and to regard the mind as nearly the product of the brain, secreted thereby as the liver secretes bile. Let us hear what the two leading nervous physiologists, of this country, have to say upon this point, the brain is not, strictly speaking, the organ of the mind, for the statement would imply that the mind exists as a force, independent of the brain, but the mind is produced by the brain substance, and intellectual force, if we may term the intellect a force, can be produced only by the transmutation of a certain amount of matter, there can be no intelligence without brain substance, flint, the mind may be regarded as a force, the result of nervous action, and characterized by the ability to perceive sensations, to be conscious, to understand, to experience emotions, and to will in accordance therewith, of these qualities, consciousness resides exclusively in the brain, but the others, as is clearly shown by observation and experiment, cannot be restricted to that organ, but are developed with more or less intensity, in other parts of the nervous system, Hammond, Thus do the two extremes of theology and science meet upon a common ground of dreamy emptiness, and we who confess our comparative ignorance are comforted by the thought that some other things have been hid from the wise and prudent and revealed unto babes. Yet, while feeling thus, it must be admitted that the existence of spirit and of a creator do not yet seem capable of logical demonstration. The denial of their existence is not incompatible with a profound acquaintance with material forms and their operations, and, on the other hand, the belief in their existence and substantial nature, and in their powers as first causes, had never interfered with the recognition of the so-called material forces, and of the organisms through which they are manifested, at present, at least, these are purely matters of faith, but although the spiritualist using the term in its broadest sense as indicating a belief in spirits, may feel that his faith discloses a beauty and perfection in the union, otherwise imperceptible by him. There is no reason why this difference in faith should make him despise or quarrel with his materialist company worker, for the latter may do as good service to science, may be as true a man, and live as holy a life, although from other motives, the differences between religious sects are mainly of faith, not of works, and the wise of all denominations are gradually coming to the conviction that they will all do God more service by toleration and company operation than by animosity and disunion, and so I hold that. Until the spiritualist feels himself able to demonstrate to the unbeliever the existence of spirit and of God, as convincingly as a mathematical proposition, there should be no hard words or feelings upon these points. For the present they are immaterial in every sense of the word, and so long as he bows to the facts and the laws of nature, and deals with his fellow men as he would be done by, so long will I work with him, side by side, knowing, even though I cannot tell him so that whether or not he joins me in this world, we shall meet in the other world to come, where his eyes will be opened, and where his lips will at least acquit me of bigotry and intolerance. Chapter XV. The Human Temperaments. Organization implies vital energy, since there can be no organization without it. The sperm cell, as we have previously seen, exists before the initiation of the life of every individual organism. The early history of this fertilizing cell, which is composed of infinitesimal molecules which contain the embryo powers of life, is only partially written, it is a fact, authenticated by Faraday, that one drop of water contains, and may be made to evolve, as much electricity as, under a different mode of display, would suffice to produce a lightning flash, 
chemical forces of a higher order than physical, and vital forces of a still higher order. Within the microscopic compass of the sperm cell are a great number of forces acting simultaneously, which require the answering conditions of a germ cell, and are so blended as to occupy a minimum of space. The union of these cell elements through the agency of their physical, chemical, and vital forces, constitutes the initiation of life. Elementary matter is transformed into chemical and organic compounds, by natural forces, upon the cessation of which, it is liberated by nature's great destroyer, and reappears in the world of elements. Thus, man is formed out of the very dust by means of energies which reconstruct the crude, inert matter, and to dust he returns when those energies cease. When we enter upon the consideration of the temperaments, we should bear in mind one peculiarity of life, that it combines, in a small space, many complex powers. In the process of reproduction, there is a complex combination of organic elements. Structures differ as greatly as their functions. So likewise do animals vary in their nature and organization, and individuals of the same species are, in some respects, dissimilar. Yet the characteristics which have distinguished the races of mankind, are fundamental and faithfully maintained. Time does not obliterate them. Within race limits are found enduring peculiarities, and, although each individual is weaving out some definite pattern of organization, it follows the type of the race, as well as the more immediate, and antecedent condition. What then is a temperament but a mixing together of these determining forces, a certain blending manifested in the constitution by signs? or traits, which we denominate character, the different races of mankind must have their several standards of temperament, for the peculiarities of one are not fully descriptive, and applicable to the other, the term temperament is defined by Dunley Son, as being, a name given to the remarkable differences that exist between individuals, in consequence of the variety of relations and proportions between the constituent parts of the body, for its simplicity and scope, we prefer the following definition, suggested by our friend, Orin Davis, M.D., a temperament is a combination of organic elements so arranged as to characterize the constitution. This leads us to consider some of the elements, conditions and forces which give character to the organization. External circumstances supply necessary conditions to inward activity, for without air, food, or sunlight all living animals would perish. Everywhere, life is dependent upon conditions and circumstances, it is not self-generating, but the conditions of reproduction are very complex. External forces are transformed, and, in turn, become vital or formative powers. Development is a transmutation of physical and chemical forces into vital energy, although unable to compute the ultimate factors of life. Yet we may illustrate their reproductive possibilities and results by comparing them with those of a lower order. Animal structures are mainly composed of four elements, oxygen, hydrogen, nitrogen and carbon, other constituents, such as phosphorus, sulfur, potassium, sodium, calcium, magnesium, and iron, enter into their composition, but are found in much smaller quantities, from these elements is fabricated an organism which manifests peculiar properties and marvelous functions, if the proportion of these chemical elements be varied, the organic compound will be changed, or, the proportions remaining the same, if the grouping of the elements be altered, different compounds will be produced, showing that the properties of organized substances depend upon the molecular constitution of matter, rising in the scale of organization, we observe that every variation of the physical and chemical processes implies a corresponding modification of the vital, 
This is verified by the peculiarities of the several races of mankind. Individual differences are likewise modifications of these processes. Dynamical or vital differentiation depends upon these modifications for the display of vital energy, and is always associated with molecular changes, but it should be borne in mind that an effect may not resemble its cause and properties, and the qualities of a chemical compound may be quite different from those of its individual constituents. Organic matter, although more complex, may exhibit properties, both like and unlike its constituent elements, within certain boundaries. The elements seek to satisfy their affinities. We discover that there are limits between the genera of animals, as well as the races of mankind, not less really, though perhaps not as absolutely, are their individual precincts within the sphere of the human temperaments, which cannot be passed. If we cannot satisfactorily explain, we can at least discover a reason for temperamental limitation. It is not designed to circumscribe healthful reproduction but to serve as an effectual hindrance to abnormal deviations. We may state our belief in more positive terms, that the temperamental variations are essential to genesis and fertility, and indispensable to health and normal development. Every individual is susceptible to impressions which dispose to action. Impressions which excite or increase this disposition, are called stimuli. Vital change implies the existence of stimuli and susceptibility to stimulation. The stimulus may not be furnished because the conditions on which it depends are wanting, again, susceptibility may exist at one time and not at another. Stimuli and susceptibility may be present in different degrees, but for the purpose of healthful reproduction they must not be impaired. No single class of foods, albuminous, starchy, saccharine, or mineral, is sufficient for the nutrition of the body, but the food must contain substances belonging to each of the different classes. If an animal be fed exclusively upon albumin, though this substance constitutes the largest part of the bodily mass, exhaustion will rapidly follow, since the food does not contain all the essential, nutritive elements. Again, when the solids of the body have been wasted, they lose their susceptibility to stimuli, and the food does no good. Thus patients become emaciated during acute attacks of disease, upon the cessation of which they are too feeble to recover simply because they have lost the power to digest and assimilate their food, in inanimate bodies, as in crystals, forces come to a rest, but the very idea of life implies action and continual change, hence diversity of constitutions and different temperaments are essential in order that marriage may result in the reproduction of vigorous beings, vital and non-vital temperaments, in the preceding chapter, we attempted to illustrate the unique blending of mind and body by means of the nervous system, and we now propose to exemplify the physical conditions of the organism by certain correspondences, observed in the development and conditions of that system. If nature answer to mind in physical correspondences, she will observe the same regularity in physical development. The simplest classification of the temperaments is represented in figure 78. Not only is mental activity dependent upon a vital activity in the brain, but the development of the cerebrum is dependent upon the supply of blood. The growth of the intellect requires the same conditions that aid in the development of Vulcan's right arm, waste and supply, disintegration and reparation of tissue. Our modern iron forges produce many an artisan whose great right arm proclaims him to be a son of power as well as a fire. Thus the fervid intellect, while forging out its thoughts, increases in size and strength. The difference between the development of the two is this, that the exercise of the blacksmith's right arm quickens the activities of all the bodily functions whereas the employment of the intellect does not offer any healthy equivalent. 
Physical exercise is a hygienic demand, but intellectual employment exerts no salutary influence on the body, while it is constantly expending the nutritive energies of the blood. The emotions, likewise, make exhaustive draughts upon nutrition to supply the waste of brain substance, just as certainly as physical labor causes muscular change, and demands reparation, one expends cerebral, the other, muscular substance, the one is healthful in its general tendencies, the other, comparatively wasteful and destructive, disintegrating, the intellectual faculties are expending, deriving, engrossing, the emotive faculties are exhausting, devitalizing, these nervous forces are transformed into spiritual products, the base of the anterior lobes of the brain belong to the atonic region the source of those languid, deranging influences which coincide with morbidity and disease, a disturbance of the corporeal organs, which especially influence this portion of the brain, naturally tends to the development of insanity or imbecility, Morel has traced, through four generations, the family history of a youth who was admitted to the asylum at Rouen while in a state of stupidity and semi-idiocy. The following summary of his investigations illustrates the natural course of degeneracy as it extends through successive generations, immorality, depravity, alcoholic excess, and moral degradation. In the great-grandfather, who was killed in a tavern brawl, hereditary drunkenness, maniacal attacks, ending in general paralysis. In the grandfather, sobriety but hypochondriacal tendencies, delusions of persecutions, and homicidal tendencies in the father, defective intelligence in the son. His first attack of mania occurred at 16, and was followed by stupidity, and finally ended in complete idiocy. Furthermore, there was probably an extinction of the family, for the son's reproductive organs were as little developed as those of a child of 12 years of age. He had two sisters who were both defective physically and morally and were classed as imbeciles. To complete the proof of heredity in this case, Morel adds that the mother had a child while the father was confined in the asylum, and that this child exhibited no signs of degeneracy. Statistics show that multitudes of human beings are born with a destiny against which they have neither the will nor the power to contend, they groan under the worst of all tyrannies, the tyranny of a bad organization, which is theirs by inheritance. We may represent the tendencies of the anterior portion of the brain by figure 79. The functional exercise of the anterior and superior portions of the cerebrum is disintegrating and devitalizing, while the anterior and inferior portions coincide with mental and physical derangement, unless counteracted by opposing forces. It is therefore evident that in any organization, upon which is entailed a perverted or excessive action of this portion of the cerebrum, the tendencies are non-vital i.e. unfavorable to fertility and physical health. If the antagonizing regions are well developed, the tendencies are favorable to life. Sanity. The volative organs promote temperance. H.A.R.D.I.Hood. Nutrition. The animal organs tend to a restoration, conservation, secretion. The basilar faculties instigate circulation, vitality, energy. The combined action of these health faculties express reproduction. If this portion of the brain indicates a full development, we say of such a temperament that it is vile, because the functions of its nerve centers are favorable to evolution, as degeneration observes conditions, so endurance and development conform to certain laws, and it is the duty of all truthful inquirers, who believe not only in the progress of human intelligence, but in physical improvement from generation to generation, to ascertain and comply with these essential conditions. When the anterior and middle lobes of the brain are fully developed at their inferior surfaces, 
it is regarded as an insane temperament, i.e. containing the germs of mental and bodily derangement. How shall we distinguish the combination of organic elements, if not by the manner in which they characterize the constitution? Every human being is distinguished by natural peculiarities, both mental and physical. These are indicated not only by the color of the eyes, hair, and skin, and the mental expressions, but in the conformation and capabilities of the corporeal system, the color, form, size, and texture of a leaf indicate to the expert ponologist the nature of the fruit which the tree will bear, but how much more important is it to understand the harmonies of human development, if Professor Agassiz could determine the form and size of a fish by seeing its scales, and Professor Owen outline the skeleton of an unknown animal by viewing a portion of its fossil, why should not the physician understand the language of temperaments? since it opens to him the revelations of human development, the sculptor blends character with form, the artist endows the face with natural expression, the anatomist accurately traces the nerves and arteries, the physiognomist reads character, which the novelist delineates and the actor personates, because there are facts behind all these, the materials wherewith to construct a science, in organization there are permanent forces which operate uniformly, thus revealing the order of nature, the temperaments classified. We propose to speak of four constitutional variations entitled to separate consideration, the lymphatic, the sanguine, the volative, and the encephalic. The brain controls all the voluntary, and modifies the involuntary functions of the body. A particular cerebral development modifies the functions of all the bodily organs, and thus tempers the constitution. We shall, therefore, base our classification of temperaments upon the mental and physiological characteristics, which are portrayed by cerebral development. Such an arrangement is illustrated by figure 80, the lymphatic temperament. The lymphatic temperament predominates when the anterior base of the brain and the middle lobe are developed so as to exert a preponderating influence over the bodily functions. The character of this influence we have described in cerebral physiology. It is difficult to state precisely the normal influences and nerve forces which arise from these faculties, but it is evident that they are specially related to nutritive attraction, in opposition to volative repulsion. It is only their excessive influence which produces worthless, miserable, morbid characters. A constitution marked by this development is indolent, relaxative, and an easy prey to epidemics. This treatment is also characterized by a low grade of vitality or resistance. When life is sustained by the volative powers, it is distinguished by a softness of the bodily tissues, and the prevalence of lymph. The fact that all the organic functions are performed indolently, indicates lack of vital power. An excellent illustration of this temperament is found in figure 81, which represents a Chinese gentleman of distinction, in the lower order of animals, as in sponges. Absorption is performed by contiguous cells, which are quite as effortless as in plants because of their organic indolence. Sponges are often classed as vegetables. A body having an atonic or a lymphatic temperament is abundantly supplied with absorbent organs, which are very sluggish in their operations. In the lymphatic temperament, there seems to be less constructive energy, slower elaboration, and greater frugality. Lymph is a colorless or yellow fluid containing a large proportion of water. It is not so highly organized as the blood, but resembles it. When that fluid is deprived of its red corpuscles, in the sanguine temperament, circulation in the blood vessels is the most active, in the lacteals next, and in the lymphatics the least so, but in the lymphatic temperament, this order is reversed. Dr. W.B. Powell has observed that a lymphatic man has a large head, 
while a fat man has a small one, and also that fat and lymph, are convertible, one following the other, i.e., a repletion consisting of fat may be removed, and one of lymph may replace it, and vice versa, he could not account for these alternations, the bear goes into his winter quarters sleek and fat, and comes forth in the spring just as plump with lymph, but he loses this fat appearance soon after obtaining food, this simply indicates that, during lymphatic activity, the digestive organs are comparatively quiescent, but when these are functionally employed again, lymphatic economy is not required, it is the duty of the lymphatics to slowly convert the fat by such transformation, that when it reaches the general circulation, it may there unite with other organic compounds, the process being aged by atmospheric nitrogen, introduced during the act of respiration, in this way it may become changed into those chemically indefinite, artificial products, called proteid compounds, this view is supported by the disappearance of fat as an organized product in the lymph of the lymphatic vessels, indicating that such transformation has occurred, in this way, by uniting with other organic compounds, it appears that lymph may serve as a weak basis for blood, that atmospheric nitrogen is also employed in forming these artificial compounds, is indicated by the fact that there is sometimes less detected in arterial than in venous blood, this temperament is indicated by lymphatic repletion, soft flesh, pale complexion, watery blood, slow and soft pulse, oval head, and broad skull, showing breadth at its base. Figure 82 illustrates this temperament combined with sanguine elements. In all good illustrations of this temperament, there is a breadth of the anterior base of the skull extending forward to the cheekbones. There is likewise a corresponding fullness of the face under the chin, and in the neck denoting a large development of the anterior base of the cerebrum, the cerebral conformation of the Han, Judge Green indicates mental activity, and we have no reason to suppose that lymph was particularly abundant in his brain, while this description of the lymphatic temperament is correct, when illustrated by the civilized races of men who are accustomed to a luxury, ease, and an abundance of food, it does not apply with equal accuracy to the cerebral organization of the American Indian, his skull though broad at its anterior base, and high and wide at the cheekbones, differs from the European in being broader and longer behind the ears. Figure 83 is an excellent representation of a noted North American Indian, while a great breadth of the base of the brain indicates morbid susceptibilities, yet these, in the Indian, are opposed by a superior height of the posterior part of the skull. Consequently, he is restless, impulsive, excitable, passionate, a wanderer upon the earth. The basilar faculties, however, are large, and he is noted for instinctive intelligence. His habits alternate from laziness to heroic effort, from idleness and quiet to the fierce excitement of the chase, from vagabondism to war, sometimes indolent and at other times turbulent, but under all circumstances, irregular and unreliable. In this case, lacteal activity is greater than lymphatic, as his nomadic life indicates. Nevertheless, he manifests a morbid sensibility to epidemic diseases, especially those which engender nutritive disorders and corrupt the blood. Figures 84 and 85 represent the brain of an American Indian, and that of a European, and show the remarkable difference in their anatomical configuration. Evidently it is a race distinction. Observe the greater breadth of the brain of the Indian, which according to cerebral physiology indicates great alimentiveness, indolence, morbid sensibility, irritability profligacy, but also note that it differs materially in the proportion of all its parts, from the European brain, 
Judging the character of the Indian from the aforesaid representation, we should say that he was cunning, excitable, treacherous, fitful, taciturn, or violently demonstrative. His constitution is very susceptible to diseases of the bowels and blood. His appetite is ungovernable, and his love of stimulants is strong. Syphilitic poison, smallpox, and strong drink will annihilate all these tribes sooner than gunpowder. Their physical traits of constitution are no less contradictory than their extremes of habit and character. For while there is evidence of lymphatic elements, yet it is contradicted by the color of the hair, eyes, and skin. This peculiar organization will not blend in healthful harmony with that of the European, and this demonstrates that the race temperaments require separate and careful analytical consideration. Illustration, Figure 84, American Indian, Figure 85, European, from Morton's Crania Americana, in the American Indian, the anterior lobe, lying between AA, and BB, is small, and in the European it is large, in proportion to the middle. Lying between BB and CC, in the American Indian, the posterior lobe, lying between and is much smaller than in the European, in the Indian, the cerebral convolutions on the anterior lobe and upper surface of the brain, are smaller than the European, if the anterior lobe manifests the intellectual faculties the middle lobe the propensities common to man with the lower animals and the posterior lobe, the conservative energies, the result seems to be that the intellect of the American Indian is comparatively feeble the European, strong, the animal propensities of the Indian will be great in the European, more moderate, while reproduction, vital energy, and conservation of the species in the Indian is not as great as with the European, the relative proportions of the different parts of the brain differ very materially, by physical culture and regulation of the habits, the excessive tendencies of this temperament may be restrained, solid food should be substituted for a watery diet, if it be limited in quantity, this change will not only diminish the size, but increase the strength of the body. The body should be disciplined by daily percussion until the imperfectly constructed cells, which are too feeble to resist this treatment, are broken and replaced by those more hardy and enduring. Add to this treatment brisk, dry rubbing, calisthenic exercises, and daily walks, which should be gradually extended. Continue this treatment for three months and its favorable effects upon the temperament will surprise the most skeptical, if continued for a year, a radical alteration will be effected, and the hardihood, health, and vigor of the constitution will be greatly increased. This temperament may be improved physiologically, by being blended with the sanguine and volative, the offspring will be stronger, the structures firmer, the organization more dense, nutrition, assimilation and all the constructive functions will be more energetic in weaving together the cellular fabric of the body. The sanguine temperament will add a stimulus to the organic activities, while the volative will communicate manly, brave, and enduring qualities. When this temperament is united with the encephalic, if such a union does not result in barrenness, it adds expanding and exhaustive tendencies to the enfeebling ones already existing, and, consequently, the offspring lacks both physical power and intellectual activity. The peculiarities of this temperament are observed in the diseases which characterize it. It is specially liable to derangements of digestion, nutrition, and blood making. The blood is easily poisoned by morbid products formed within the body, as well as by those derived from the body of another. This is seen in bohemia, produced by the introduction of decomposing pus, or matter, into the blood. This condition is most likely to occur when the vital powers are low and the energies weak, for then the fibrin decreases, 
the red corpuscles diminish in number, the circulation becomes languid, the pulse grows fluttering and weak, and this increases until death ensues. An individual of this temperament is more easily destroyed than any other by the poison of syphilis, smallpox, and other contagious diseases. If the blood has received any hereditary taint, the lymphatic glands not only reproduce it but often increase the virulency of the original disease. This temperament indicates a necessity for the employment of stimulating, alterative, and antiseptic medicines. The torpid functions need arousing, the blood needs depuration, i.e. the elimination of corrupting matter, and the system requires alteratives to produce these salutary changes. The secretions need the correcting influence of cleansing remedies for the purification of the blood. Persons of this temperament are more liable to absorption of morbid products within the body, which are in a state of decomposition, producing an infection of the blood, technically termed septicemia. The fatal results which so suddenly follow childbed fever are thus produced. This kind of poisoning sometimes takes place from the absorption of decomposed exudotion and diphtheria, and, though rarely, from decomposing organic products collected in the lungs, whenever the absorption of poison does take place, fatal consequences usually follow. This passive temperament is more likely to sink under acute attacks of disease, especially elementary disorders, such as diarrhea, dysentery, and cholera. It quickly succumbs to their prostrating effects, such as depression, congestion, and fatal collapse which rapidly succeed one another. Venesectyon and harsh purgatives are contraindicated, and the physician who persists in their employment kills his patient. How grateful are warmth and stimulating medicines. The most powerful, diffusible, and nervous stimulants are required in cholera. When the system is devastated by the disease, as the plain is laid waste by the fierce tornado, the sanguine temperament, lymph is the characteristic of the lymphatic temperament, and its specific gravity, temperature and standard of vitality are all lower than that of red blood. In the sanguine temperament all the vital functions are more active. The blood itself has a deeper hue. Its corpuscles carry more oxygen. The complexion is quite florid, and the arterial currents impart to every faculty a more hopeful vigor. The blood vessels are the most active absorbents. Eagerly, 